0: Welcome to the Prophecy Update July. Here we are, July already, it's good stuff. Um, Don't forget by the way, if you haven't already, and I know we're getting a lot of people watching live online and and watching after the fact too, uh, but don't forget to subscribe to the Athe Greek YouTube channel because it gets all the teachings. If you click the bell, Uh, Next to the subscribe button, you get uh, get a a notice every time one of the teachings pop up from our Through the Bible or from the Prophecy Updates. That way you can kind of be reminded to catch up and stuff. So if you're interested in that, you can do that. Um, But we're going to get into it tonight. Uh, There was a turtle who was crossing the road, and he was mugged by two snails. When the police showed up, they asked him what happened and the shaken turtle replied, I don't know, it all happened so fast. (laughs) You might wonder why I have a speedometer and a tachometer on our uh, graphic this evening. Uh, Well, it has to do with what the Bible says about the last days and the end times. And I wanna kinda draw your attention to that. Why don't you grab your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter one. There's uh, kind of a couple of bookends at the beginning of the book of Revelation and at the end of the book of Revelation that I think are noteworthy. Um, in Revelation chapter one, verse one, it says there, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. If you would note that word shortly there, um, you know, uh, by the way, if if you want to sound like a sort of a biblical tourist, and this probably sounds arrogant. I don't want to sound that way. But if you want to sound like you kind of know what you're talking about, don't call it the book of revelations with an S. That that tells me you, you, you're you're kind of you know oh yeah you're, you're just being introduced to the book of revelation because it's not revelation it is the revelation that's notice that what it says here now some of your Bible translations even put it the revelations uh, in your but that that's wrong it is like it says here the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show his servants which things must shortly come now you see that word shortly and people say well man you know. Jesus received this revelation to give to John. John got it. And that wasn't, that wasn't shortly, was it? Well, the word shortly, just note that. Um, and then flip over to chapter 22. Just go all the way to the end. These are the bookends of the book of Revelation. The word shortly. Um, go to Revelation 22, verse 6. 22, 6. It says in verse six of 22, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must be shortly done uh, or shortly be done. There it is again, the word shortly. Now you say, well, even at the end of the book of Revelation, that's not that much further in history. So, shortly is wrong. Well, it's not really wrong, and I'll tell you why. The Greek word for the word shortly is an interesting word, and the, word, the Greek word for that is uh, tacos. Uh, man, you're saying, I could go for some tacos right now. Uh, no, tac, tacos uh, is the Greek word, and it means quickness, but, um, but it, you know, it's where we get our word ta- tachometer, but, but the word quickness isn't even really the full description of it. The idea is um, it's, it's revving up, is the idea. Um, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come as it revs up it, it speedily, and it'll get faster and faster as we get closer and closer. Uh, to the events. What does that mean? Tacos. And how does that apply to these things? Well, interesting because um, that's the same concept, by the way, this, you know, where we get the word tachometer, by the way, tachometer, for those of you that aren't into these sort of things, it's a instrument that's in your, many of your vehicles um, that tells you how many revolutions per minute your motor is going. That's kind of the idea is it's a measurement of, of, of revolutions per minute. It's not how fast you're going down the road. It's how, how fast your engine is turning. And, um, and that's the thing. See, people are confusing this word, you know, tacos used by John as more of a speedometer when they need to be looking at it more as a tachometer. Is, are we closer to the events? Uh, is it short in time period or is it, things gonna ramp up or rev up as we get closer? The answer is the latter. Things are gonna rev up as we get closer to the end. And that's why we've sort of titled this prophecy update, things are revving up. We're seeing that happen. Um, by the way, if you're not into the, you know, that was, this one's for the guys and gals that like tachometers and old, you know, race cars and stuff like that. There's actually a more feminine example the Lord gives us. Anybody remember what that is? Yeah, somebody said it, childbirth childbirth. Um, in fact, remember what Jesus said? Both Jesus and Paul talked about this. Uh, in Matthew 24, remember when the disciples asked Jesus, when's the end of the world gonna be? And he gave the, the you know two and a half pages of red letters. Uh, the longest dissertation Jesus ever gave was on the end times. But in that big sermon, as he said, you know, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and, and there's going to be earthquakes in diverse places and pestilence and, uh, uh, you know, national rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In other words, ethnicity against ethnicity is uh, uh, the Greek word there. Um, but Jesus said in verse 8 of, of 24, he said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And the word sorrow, if you take it out there uh, from there, it's the word birth pain, literally translated. Um, Like it it should really read, all these are the beginning of labor pains or birth pains. And so if you have ever given birth to a baby, you know how that is. Uh, the, The contractions are in sort of a tachometer kind of way ramping up. They get more intense and more frequent the closer you get to the coming of the baby. And so, um, so, you know, Jesus talked about this. Not only um, Jesus, but Paul the Apostle, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse three, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Again, as the end gets closer, things are gonna continually spin up uh, around the world uh, to, the, to the point where Jesus returns. The rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, <clears throat> and then ultimately the millennial kingdom. <clears throat> so that's something to kind of note, uh, things will ramp up. Now, what's interesting about the you know, tachometer versus the speedometer is you don't really know the day or the hour when the Lord is gonna do all these things, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, we don't know that. But we do know the signs and the t- seasons and we'll know that things will be ramping up. Well, things seem to be ramping up, but then they, then they ebb and flow. Have you noticed that if you study your world history? You know, um, no wonder back in 19, you know, 17, they thought they were living in Armageddon during World War One, and and I probably would have thought that too, living through that horrible, horrible part of history. I mean, World War One was horrific if you were on the battlefield, um, but they were wrong. It wasn't Armageddon. They thought it was, but it wasn't. But it was ramping up. It was it was like a birth pain. It was uh, you know coming on really strong, and then it stopped. And then World War II, another birth thing, and then it stopped. And, and you know, who knows? See, that's the thing. Anybody that says, if they're a Bible prophecy buff or teacher or whatever, be careful. If somebody's saying, absolutely, this is it, for sure. This is, the rapture's coming, or this is for sure the Gog Magog war, or this is for sure the Antichrist over here. Be careful when you listen to those guys. Um, I'm, I'm so frustrated because um, those guys give Bible prophecy a bad name. Uh, you know, there's guys that have come and gone saying, this pro- you know, prophecy is gonna happen for sure. Um, the language that we should use is, could it be that this is that time that the Bible speaks about? Um, and we don't wanna try to make predictions about these times, you know, a- absolute. We need to say, maybe these are birth pains. Maybe this is the thing that brings the baby. We don't know for sure, but you'll say, well, then what's the point? We, we won't know. Well, the Lord says, you will know the times and the seasons you're living. And I think the Lord gives us that, that anticipation. Well, what if it we're anticipating the rapture of the church and it doesn't happen in our lifetime? Guess what? That's how the Lord wanted you to live to begin with. He wanted you and me to live with that anticipation of the rapture of the church, that it could happen at any moment. The imminence of his return is something you see in the Bible. Um, the New Testament believers, if you read closely, they thought that the end would be in their time in their lifetime. Uh, but that's the way the Lord wants his people to live. You know, the wise servant of Matthew 24 that's you know watching and waiting for the Lord's coming, not the wicked servants. ah, the Lord delays his coming. You know, you guys have been saying the like, same thing forever. Like, you know, Peter talks about how the, the people will say, um, where is the promise of his coming? And nothing's changed since the very beginning. But that's a, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. When people are saying that stuff, you can say, oh, praise the Lord, we're getting closer. When people scoff and stuff like that, that's okay. The Bible says that's gonna happen. Um, so the, the, the situation around the world, I find it interesting uh, to watch things spin up. And that's one of the things we like to talk about in Prophecy Update is what are the things that we should see going on in the world that are linked to uh, topics that the Bible said uh, about the last days? That's, that's really what we do on Prophecy Update. We're just kind of observing the, the, the news around the world as it relates to end time scenarios. And, uh, and I think it's kind of fun to just see how things really are falling into place. The, a lot of people look at the world today, oh, everything's falling apart. But as Bible prophecy people, we get to say, no, everything's falling into place. We're seeing the very things that the Bible said would happen uh, coming together in our day. And I believe it's very possible that the rapture of the church could be tonight. Wouldn't that be great? Finish our prophecy update and boom, that'd be a great way to end it. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, no disappointment here, but that's the way we're supposed to live with that anticipation and expectation of his coming. So all that to say, um, this idea of a, a, a woman with travail, with child, that's, that's just like the tachometer sort of uh, analogy that is also given by John, uh, the revelator from Jesus. So let's talk about some of the topics. One of the things I wanted to really touch on tonight, um, have you guys been following what's going on with Israel? Uh, Israel's been in the news. It's been really interesting to see. You know, it's always interesting to see what's going on in Israel, um, but this past month, since our last prophecy update, there's been quite a drama. Like you could make a movie out of what's happened in Israel and with Jews around the world and all the stuff going on there. You really could make a movie. What's going on there? Um, the the first thing you have to understand is the government of Israel collapsed. Just a few days ago, if you didn't notice that. Now you, that sounds very dramatic, um, uh, and it is sort of. But you know the way the government works there in Israel, it, it has a propensity to do those things. Uh, and uh, you know the Knesset uh, is kind of disbanded right now. Um, but all that—that's one of the big dramatic moments. Is um, you know, um, uh, in fact, NBC News article: Israel's parliament dissolves and sets the fifth election in four years. So uh, kind of interesting because, um, you know, these elections have been close. And if you remember Benjamin Netanyahu, who had been prime minister for the previous 12 years, um, was barely voted out uh, under all kinds of controversy. Um, You can kind of superimpose sort of the way, uh, you know, people went after Trump or going after Trump. They're doing the same thing in a smaller scale to Netanyahu in Israel. Um, they're they're accusing him of all kinds of horrible crimes, and he's in in you know he's in uh, litigation as we speak. Netanyahu, the former prime minister, um, because he uh, was given a gift of a thirty dollar bottle of wine, uh, and he took it, uh, and so he should be in jail for that, of course. Um, and uh, there's there's this weird stuff going on there, but <clears throat> meanwhile, uh, there's all kinds of other corruption uh, going on and what have you, but. Basically, the government that was formed has barely been uh, formed for just over a year. Uh, It's one of the shortest acting governments in Israel's history. Um, And um, and, and now, uh, basically, uh, polls are showing that Netanyahu and his allies are going to gain some seats um, and maybe be put back in office uh, in this next and fifth election. Um, so it, it is. It's sort of funny. It's the same question. You know, people are asking, "Is Trump going to be the president of the United States again?" Well, that's what a lot of people are asking in Israel: "Is Netanyahu going to be uh, president uh, or prime minister in Israel?" Um, but polls in, in the media show Netanyahu uh, winning that uh, right now, as it sits. But um, but if neither he or, or anyone succeeds in doing so, Israel could go to yet more elections, and so that's, that's the weird thing about the Israeli, ele- uh, the way their parliament works is they just keep having election after election. It sounds horrible, it sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, one election every four years, or two years, if you count the midterms, is enough for us. Uh, but Israel, man, election after election after election. Um, anyway, but one of the things that this is interesting is Israel's government falls apart when Israel's at some of the most critical issues that they're facing today. Um, what do you do about that? Um, one critical issue, and, and I've talked about this in previous uh, weeks, the last few weeks, Biden's making his way to Jerusalem. Some people are, are saying uh, maybe he won't go because there's no real leader in town. Um, uh, you know, Lapid is the guy that he would probably meet with, but he's just sort of like this guy that's sort of a figurehead there right now. Um, and so will the president actually go to Jerusalem? That's, that's a question people are asking. And then if he does, who will he meet with? Some say he'll meet with Benjamin Netanyahu because anticipating that he would be the next leader in Israel. But um, remember, Israel is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. You have to understand that. Uh, the Bible says much about what Israel's gonna uh, look like um, in the last days. So, um, so all that to say, um, you know, they got, they're facing problems with Iran. We'll talk about that in a second and a bunch of other critical issues. Meanwhile, their government has collapsed. Um, so what does that mean? So that's the bad news for Israel. The good news for Israel is um, Jerusalem posted an article, and this kind of sums it up, despite political instability, Israel in healthy state for coming economic storm. Um, This is an interesting uh, prediction, but Israel's economy is booming right now, uh, shockingly. Uh, It shouldn't be, but it is. um, And as it turns out, Israel's expected to grow in 2022 by 4.8% Um, compared to the 4.9% in the previous forecast. But uh, compared to other nations, uh, they're doing really good. Israel's doing really good, a minor decline. Uh, Most Western countries would be thrilled if that were their numbers. Um, The flattering growth forecast for Israel, um, 4.8, and the expected 4% inflation, which is significantly lower than the other Western countries, um, as well as a budget surplus since the beginning of the year, a deficit that has fallen to zero on an annual basis and particularly low unemployment, put Israeli economy, despite its political instability, at a much more encouraging starting point in relation to Western countries for the coming economic storm. Now, um, there's a lot of reasons why Israel is thriving economically right now. Um, <clears throat> one, of their, you know, one of their big uh, you know, national incomes comes from tourism. And that's opened up since coronavirus kind of shut it down for a while, but that's a big deal. But also it's natural resources like oil and what have you. And maybe you've been following in this last uh, few weeks, this was, a big, this was a big deal. The Washington Post uh, uh, wrote this. I mean, the Washington Post uh, wrote this. Um, Israel and Egypt signed gas export deal as Europe seeks Russia alternative. Now, um, this is really fascinating if you're a Bible prophecy buff. Um, do you remember, um, you know, what it is that's gonna draw Russia down into Israel. Yeah, people are like, spoil, right? Well, look at this, you know, I mean, this is what this this article says, in Tel Aviv, Israel, Egypt and European Union on Wednesday signed a a trilateral natural gas agreement in Cairo as Europe scrambles to cobble together an energy strategy to, to replace Russian supplies it's relied on for decades. The deal, which has been in work since March, will enable Israel to streamline and increase the export of its natural gas through already existing pipelines to Egyptian ports, where it can be pressurized and liquefied, then transported to Europe. So this is a big deal. Um, Israel has a lot of natural gas, and they're gonna be selling it to Egypt. Now, what's really kind of funny is um, they're gonna be selling it to Europe, Egypt, But there's other countries, and this is just kind of a funny sideline, countries like Lebanon that desperately need the natural gas from Israel, but they won't take it because they're Jews and they don't want anything from the Jews. So what's happening is the Jews are selling Egypt extra gas and then the Lebanese are paying double for it to get it from the Egyptians. They're just, they're just rebranding the gas, you know, from Israeli gas to basically Egyptian gas and sending it up that way. Uh, that's, that's very typical, by the way, of, of the Middle Eastern countries and their attitude toward the Jews in Israel. But, but what's, what's amazing about this is um, this puts uh, Israel, uh, and, and, and the Jews are celebrating right now in Israel, in Jerusalem, because some people are even calling Israel an economic superpower as of this week because of this big deal, uh, Israel so supplying the gas for Europe. Um, now um, back to the Russian problem. So Russia's income, Russia, this is the first time they defaulted and are, are, you know, didn't pay their, their you know, bills uh, and they're, they're economically sort of tight right now to say the least in Russia. But, but do you remember what the, the Gog Magog, for you, you that are just joining us, there's a prophecy about the last days where uh, Russia will lead a confederation of nations against um, the Jews in the last days. And Ezekiel 38, kind of this is a quick summary. In Ezekiel 38 verse 11, it says, "'And thou shalt say, "'I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, "'and I will go to them that are at rest, "'that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, "'having neither bars nor gates, to do what? To take a spoil, that's kind of the key there, and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Um, could this be the hook in the jaw of the bear like the Bible kind of implies that's going to draw Russia straight down from the north down into the, the holy land of Israel? Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because um, this could be the thing. That, you know, the, the Russian and the Israeli relationship has been sort of tense as of late. The Jews have tried to sort of ride this fine line between the Russian and the Ukrainian war, and they, they haven't really, you know, they've tried to sort of walk carefully because Russia is right on their northern border they're in Syria. And, and they've been there for quite a while now. You know, Syria is a total mess and it has been because of that civil war that's been there for so long. But the Russians and the Iranians are right on the, the Golan Heights border, the northern border of Israel. And, um, and the question is, why are they there? You know, what, what are they doing there? Well, if you're a Bible student, you can't help but wonder, is this Russia posturing for what Ezekiel 38 says, that Russia will be drawn down to take a spoil. Just take the SP off of there and you got oil. Um, and that's probably what they're gonna want, want to. Uh, and, and you know, some people would say, well, Brett, you know, the Russians have oil, so they don't need that. But the problem is they need the money of Israel. They need the economy back. They need to take their income back. Um, they can have oil, but if they don't have anybody to sell it to, which is the current situation, then they're gonna go broke. And so that's the idea. Maybe they're gonna take a spoil of Israel so that they can get back on the paycheck uh, with Europe and what have you. But all that to say, um, you know, have you ever considered the scenario of what Israel's supposed to look like in the last days? And, and you know, when I was a younger guy trying to explain this or figure this out, it was a little hard to figure out you know, some of the, the special things that would be the conditions and how would they coexist? And we're seeing that today. Let me just kind of give you an example of that. Um, What does the last days or end times Israel look like? Um, The first thing is they'll be dwelling in peace and safety. That's what it said there in Ezekiel 38. Um, And Jerusalem has not really dwelt in peace and safety for hardly any time period in history. But today they largely are in peace and safety. And there's a couple reasons why. One is the Israeli army is, is already known to be sort of unbeatable. Um, and, and the, you know, the Arabs have tried. We talked about the Israeli wars a few weeks ago in our study through the Bible. Um, and they're miraculous battles where God just gave Israel victory. But not only that, they're a major military power with nuclear weapons. They've had nuclear weapons for a long time. They've never admitted it, but everybody knows they have it. Um, so they're sort of untouchable in that category. Um, and then not only that, they're, um, you know, they're, the terrorism has been largely stopped They've controlled their borders. Um, it is interesting because it, you know, it says they're gonna come in unwalled villages. And if you compare Israel today with <clears throat> biblical Israel, <clears throat> they are unwalled. There is an interesting thing about that. There, there is a wall through Jerusalem um, that they did build, which kind of is a, a good question. Well, if it's an unwalled village, why is Jerusalem walled split in half? And it has to do with Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14. They're trying to chop Israel or Jerusalem in half just like the Bible says, um, and the Jews are trying to protect their, um, their, their city, Jerusalem, the capital city of, of the Israelis. Um, so uh, we've got dwelling in peace and safety. We're, we're seeing that today. Um, they need to be economically prosperous according to the biblical narrative, which they may be second to none. They're economically prosperous uh, today because of these uh, recent deals and the gas deal with Europe. It's a huge deal. But also at the same time, this is where it doesn't make sense. They need to be hated by most of the nations of the world. Uh, How can they be dwelling in peace and safety and have all the nations? See, that's the part as a Bible prophecy buff, you'd be like, man, how's that gonna work out? But as we're watching them today, most of the nations hate Israel. You know, the UN, United Nothing, is basically constantly passing resolution after resolution against the Jews and against Israel. Um, as sort of you know, anti-humanitarian people and occupiers of lands, and we've gone over all that stuff and and talked about how that's such a bunch of propaganda, really largely. Um, but but largely today, most nations really despise the Jews, and uh, and we're seeing that today. So you, so you're seeing that, and then um, not only that, but they need to also be vulnerable to an attack by Russia if we're going to see the end time scenario. Uh, kick into gear. We're seeing all of these scenarios perfectly in place today. In fact, you know, for the biblical narrative of what's going to happen to Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39, nothing really needs to change. That could happen tomorrow. Uh, And there wouldn't even have to be really much for military operational, you know, movement to make that happen. Iran, Russia, and Turkey um, uh, are going to come along uh, and attack Israel. Now, by the way, this is one thing that maybe doesn't fit with the biblical narrative right now, and I'll talk about that. Um, Have you seen how Erdogan, the Sultan, he's called now, Sultan Erdogan, uh, up in uh, Turkey, have you seen how he's trying to be nice to Israel right now? He was, you know, 20 years ago, Israel and Turkey were allies, but then remember the flotillas and those, they were sending weapons and stuff down to Gaza with these Turkish uh, ships and stuff and Israel with their commandos attacked the ships because they couldn't let these weapons get into Gaza because they were firing the rockets up into Jerusalem and Israel and Tel Aviv. So the Israelis stopped these ships and it sort of made the relations between Turkey and Israel very tense. Um, and that's been the way it's been for the last you know, 15 years or so. But as of the last couple months, Erdogan is just suddenly you know, trying to be friends with Israel. Um, and, uh, that has a lot to do with the, uh, Russian Ukrainian conflict, but also with, um, Erdogan's desire to become the new caliphate, the new Muslim sort of leader. He's trying to, you know, schmooze over much of the Middle Eastern world and sort of be deemed as the, the sort of the guy over in the Middle East. So he's trying to do politics and stuff like that. You say, well, Brett, that doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, you know, Turkey's going to, you know, attack with Russia and Iran. But do you realize how how easy it would be for Turkey just to turn on the Jews? It would take like ten seconds right now. So don't get too comfy with Turkey sort of being like buddy buddy with Israel right now. That that could change on a on a, just in a second. And those things do change like that. Um, so so these these things happening all at the same time. That's an amazing thing to me. That's just the the Bible showing us that the, everything's postured, the stage is set and things are ramping up to uh, come to that end days scenario the Bible talks about. Um, speaking of Turkey and Iran and Israel, another thing that's happened with Israel, um, it, it, and this is where somebody probably is gonna make a movie about this one, because it, it was quite a radical story. Did, did anybody see the foiled uh, Iranian assassination plot that happened a few, uh, like last week? Um, How many of you guys saw that? It was was quite a deal. But, um, uh, you know, let me just show you like this article here from uh, the Times of Israel. Official says Mossad, uh, local intel foiled three Iran plots to attack Israelis in Istanbul. Um, um, uh, Jerusalem earlier this month imposed a travel warning against its citizens flying to Turkey after receiving significant intelligence that Iran was seeking to carry out attacks against Israeli tourists in the country to avenge a series of killings and strikes on, on Iranian military and nuclear targets that have been attributed to the Jewish state. We'll talk about those in just a second, the things that have been happening, these mysterious killings in Iran. But the Iranians are like, well, we're gonna, we're gonna do that too. So they, they, they were making plots to kill Jews. Now, why Istanbul? It has to do with Iranians' access to Turkey and the Jews, the Jews go to Istanbul uh, because it's a vacation spot. It's only like an hour and a half away. It's just, just, it's not that far from from Israel. So the Jews, they go there, and, and that's what was going on. In fact, the former ambassador, Israeli ambassador to Turkey, was there in Istanbul at a very nice, fancy hotel, and and uh, and some of the diplomats, they were all there, um, you know, in, in Istanbul. And this, this, this foiled attack, well, the Iranians were planning to assassinate this man who was the former ambassador and also his wife. They were gonna kill the, her and him and also all the other Israelis that were in that hotel. They, they had mapped it out, they plotted it out. But um, what happened was, and this is the part, it's kinda hard, you have to do a little research to find out what really happened. The, the Jews were warning Israelis, don't go to Istanbul. But some of the Jews uh, decided to go anyway. By the way, sideline note, the Jews aren't always good at listening to their own you know, security. But I would just say, if, if you're in Israel and the Israelis tell you, hey, don't go over somewhere, you probably shouldn't go there because they know stuff. Uh, the Mossad is second to none when it comes to intelligence and stuff like that. We were down in a uh, lot uh, back in, I think it was 2007. And uh, we were doing some scuba diving there in the Red Sea and sipping tea on the Mediterranean. It was a beautiful, hot, summery day. Um, but that evening uh, there was a big explosion right next to where we were. We were in Israel, but just several hundred yards down the beach was the Egyptian uh, border. And right on that Egyptian border um, was, is this big hotel, fancy hotel. And the Jews loved to vacation there. And they go there because they can cross the border into Egypt and do a bunch of gambling at this uh, hotel in Egypt. Um, Well, the Jews, when we were there, were saying the you know the Jewish equivalent of the State Department. They were saying, "Whatever you do, don't go across the border of Egypt. There's you know uh, 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 heightened alert uh, from terrorism and stuff." Well, a bunch of Jews said, "We're going to go and gamble anyway," and they did. Their gamble didn't pay off. It's sad uh, because when we were there, the bomb went off. The hotel, half of it was crumbled, and 30 Jews were killed there in the in the uh, bombing of that. Uh, the very night we were there, we literally saw people walking with suitcases, bloodied bandages, walking their stuff across, the people that survived back into Israel, walking across the border. Like it was pretty dramatic to be there. Um, that was the same trip, by the way, where our plane got diverted to Cyprus because of a bomb threat. That was quite a tour, that, that Israeli group that I took from Athey Creek. That was pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> the bomb went off there. but. Um, but all that to say, um, you know, the, 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 the truth is the Jews were saying the same thing. Don't go to Istanbul. And a bunch of Jews did. Um, and so um, the Jewish authorities contacted the, the um, Turkish government and their um, intelligence said, man, there's a plot. And, and, and not only did they say about the plot, the security official from Mossad said that they had led the Turkish authorities to the very 10 members of an Iranian cell who were allegedly planning to kidnap and murder former Israeli ambassador to Turkey and his wife. Um, but you know, the, the news just said, well, the 10 people were caught and arrested. That's kind of how the story goes, but that's not the whole story. What actually happened was the ambassador and his wife were sleeping sound in their fancy hotel room. The Mossad came, woke them up in the middle of the night, said, you're coming with us. And they literally whisked all the Israelis out of that hotel, not minutes, seconds before the Iranian uh, uh, terrorist cell came and stormed the the hotel. Um, Fortunately, the the Turkish authorities had their soldiers there, but the Mossad got the Jews, took them to a private jet and got them back in Israel before the whole event was even over. Like it's an amazing, uh, amazing story, but um, you, know, you'll see, you, can, you can look this up, you can see the Turkish people getting all the credit for arresting this Iranian plot, uh, but it was really the Mossad who did all the heavy lifting on that. Um, so that's pretty dramatic stuff. Uh, the, the Iranians are looking for ways to sort of fight back with what's happening in Iran, and what's happening in Iran. Well, ABC News article, Iranian officers' mysterious death probed amid rising tensions with Israel. Um, There's been all kinds of mysterious deaths. And we've been talking about this for the last few years. You know, there's there's suddenly, um, you know, some nuclear facility is uh, blown up or has an electrical fire or like all these weird things happening. And it's all stuff that's slowing down the Iranians getting a nuclear weapon. And these are all nuclear scientists and the people that are leading that, they just kind of die. And, and this past couple of weeks, if you've been reading, uh, basically reading the news and seeing what's going on, um, researchers and military fig- figures associated with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is uh, their nuclear program and missile development, uh, al- almost all their leadership either died after a series of mysterious incidents or were killed in planned assassinations over the past few weeks according to the country's local media. Um, They've died by poison, car accidents, falling off buildings, some were killed on the same day. Um, And um, the Jews are like, well, that's too bad. (laughs) Like, uh, that's the way they're, now Israel has said it very clearly, we will not let Iran get a nuclear bomb. And the reason, the Iranian says, we're gonna blow Israel off the map. The first thing we're gonna do when we get a nuclear bomb is we're gonna blow Israel off the map. The Iranians haven't even tried to hide that. That's, that's kind of what they're announcing to the world. We've talked about why the Iranians are so reckless with that information. It has to do with the, their, their own view. The, the, the Shiite Muslim version of their eschatology or their end times uh, dictates that the Mahdi or the 12th Imam is gonna come in total chaos. And when there's chaos in the world, uh, both in the Iranian world, but also in the rest of the world, that's when the Imam's gonna come, the 12th, uh, 12th Imam or the Mahdi. Um, so they're, they're saying, bring it on. We're gonna, we're gonna blow Israel off the map. That's gonna start a global conflict that's gonna usher in their version of the Messiah. But the Jews, say, they say, we have a right to defend ourselves. And, and if one bomb, nuclear bomb, gets over the Israeli border, they're toast. Israel's is just this tiny little country with you know, two major cities, uh, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, size of New Jersey, it's not, a, it's not a giant place, and it is a difficult place to defend from these nations that wanna harm Israel. So the Israelis are saying, we're gonna not allow, forget Biden's nuclear deal with Iran, that's like so old news, uh, that's so far gone. We've seen Iranians, uh, everybody knows, the Mossad knows that they're enriching uranium well into 90%, which is, there's no reason anybody should enrich uranium past that uh, uh, unless you're trying to make a bomb. And there's no question uh, that they're trying to do that. But all that to say, um, these mysterious deaths, uh, you know, by these probably Mossad agents operating in Iran. Can you imagine being a Mossad agent uh, Working in Iran, like, do you know what they would do if they found you or caught you in Iran? Uh, They wouldn't give you a fair trial. Waterboarding would be a nice day uh, if you were caught in Iran. Um, uh, They would hang you from a crane by the neck in the middle of the city. That's what they would do in Iran. Uh, The same thing they do with homosexuals and uh, Christians and what have you. Like, it's the religious, you know, uh, Iranian. Uh, revolutionary um, you know leadership that's there that has that radical sort of treatment of their enemies but anyway all that to say Israeli strikes um, you know um, their uh, covert ops in Iran but meanwhile um, one thing we're also seeing is um, Israel bombing Iranians in Syria remember I told you Russia and Iran are on the northern border of Syria uh, or Israel they're in Syria and um And Russia's ticked at Israel for many reasons, but one is um, like this article of the Times of Israel. Russia lashes Israel as satellite images show disabled Damascus airport after raid. Did any of you guys see this? Um, The Israelis have been bombing um, Syria. Wherever the Iranians are storing up weapons at the northern border of Israel, Israel destroys those weapons before they can get a a nice collection going. Um, And that's one of the things they're doing. And now again, some people say, why does Israel have the right to do that? Um, I would argue that Israel has a right to defend herself. The Iranians have made very clear threats against the state of Israel. And Israel says, we're not gonna let that happen. So this satellite imagery is kind of shocking. Um, you can see the very um, methodical bombing of this. This is, the, this is the public airport airport in Damascus, the capital city of, of Syria. And you can see those little, I don't know if you guys can see it uh, out here. Maybe you guys at home probably see it a little better. But um, those little yellow squares, you can see they're very strategically placed bombs right on the runway, um, on this uh, sort of airport raid that happened uh, just a few days ago. Um, Moscow, this article says, condemns vicious, provocative attacks. Both runways in in the Syria capital hit three times each. Israel has accused Iran of using uh, civilian flights to transfer weapons to Hezbollah. They're the people in Lebanon that wanna kill Israelis. Um, Israeli strikes have continued in Syria airspace, which is largely controlled by Russia, even as ties with Moscow have, have deteriorated in recent weeks. Israel has found itself at odds with Russia as it has increasingly supported Ukraine while seeking to maintain freedom of movement in serious skies. You see, the, the heating up between Russia and Israel is something that is Ezekiel 38 material, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, why is Russia gonna attack Israel? Up until a year ago, it was hard to make that case of how that would happen. Today, we're seeing the tensions rise. And, um, and the Israelis, they're breaking that Russian-controlled airspace to um, do these surface-to-air missiles to blow up this airport and what have you. Um, One thing also you'll find in some of the other articles is the Israelis also destroyed the radar system here at this airport. Um, The reason that's kind of interesting is because the radar was a Russian Uh, technology that was installed there years ago, uh, but the Russians are the ones who know how to operate this radar system. And so they can't fly commercial flights. So people are landing um, in Aleppo up in the northern part of Syria, and then they're riding buses from Aleppo down to Damascus, the capital city, because they can't land planes here now, because the the radar's down. The Russians are saying, "Hey, we'll fix that for you." And and um, you know the Syrian government, Bashar, uh, you know um, Bashar and these guys, they're all uh, saying, "Well, we, we really we're, we got this, we got this." Why why are they saying that? Because Russia says, "We'll fix that radar for a small price." And what's that price? Total control over all of Syrian airspace. They'll say, "We'll fix the radar for total control over all the airspace over Syria," which um, that's what they're hoping to get out of that. Um, the Israelis, that could be a problem for them, trying to defend themselves uh, from the northern threat of Iran and Russia right at their northern border. And that that whole thing is getting very, very tense uh, in the world today, um, to say the least. Now, that's just stuff going on with Israel. And I could go on and on. But, but those are the things to kind of watch. What's going to happen with the Israeli government and, and the, the elections? I think it's going to be, what, in November, I think, is their... Um, their fifth election in the last you know, couple of years. Uh, we'll see what happens there. And, and you know, whoever gets elected there, it's, it's kind of might be the thing that sort of holds Israel steady and maybe is another birth pain. Um, do you ever wonder if maybe what we're seeing in America, like things are kind of crazy right now in America, but do you ever wonder if things could add back? I mean, we almost got a sense of that uh, even this past week with stuff going on in America. Let's talk about some of that. Let's go, let's, 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 let's go back to the hall of justice. Um, have you heard about the liberal world order? Um, so, so in our last Prophecy Update, um, uh, we did a whole thing on the devil at Davos. Uh, and we talked about well, the World Economic Forum and this new world order that they're trying to come in. And you know what's funny about that is people call that conspiracy theory. Um, still, uh, which is funny to me because, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, that's kind of conspiratorial to talk about a new world order. Um, and, you know, George Bush used the term years and years ago. He talked about a new world order coming. We're all like, wow, that's funny that he would say that because that's kind of like what the Bible says. Uh, and we were kind of chuckling. It's funny. It must have been a verbal, you know, stumble or whatever. Um, but there, there is a big movement uh, and it's a globalist. Call it whatever you want. Globalism versus Nationalism. And we're seeing that, and and really one of the few countries that's sort of barely holding on to nationalism, is uh, the United States and Israel. Those are the two countries that are really hanging on for that. But you know, now that you see uh, what's really happening around the world, you, it's easy to see kind of this plan to sort of make things global. But. They're not even really trying to hide it anymore. It's far past uh, conspiracy, I would say, because of things like this. Um, Just was it yesterday, I think? Um, What is this liberal world order that Biden's economic advisor uh, said? Check this video out. I want you to listen closely to what the the question, uh, the CNN anchor is asking, and then Biden's advisor, check this out. This this is just kind of shocking to me. Uh, Listen closely here. They said that this could be a long ye- a war measured in years, and I think everybody understands why this is happening, but is it sustainable? What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay four eighty-five 85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Good answer. Okay, so hurting families trying to pay gas prices. Uh, and he just says, Well, this is part of the new liberal world order, so you're just gonna have to stand for tough bananas. Uh, like uh, what is that? Well, we talked about that at the last prophecy update. Do you remember when I showed that clip of Biden saying, this is gonna hurt, but this is what we need to do for you know global climate change, and you're just gonna have to pay extra money and you know, like like this is kind of their plan. They wanna disrupt. You know uh, you know people driving their you know fossil fuel vehicles and stuff like that and and this is part of their plan is to be more globalist and, and this, the, the, as he called it, the liberal. World order. So basically, the families around the country are going to have to suffer because the Biden administration wants to promote their liberal world order. This is a little bit shocking that they would even admit this, but uh, either he just didn't get the memo that he shouldn't say something like that, um, or maybe they're starting to be more bold in what they're actually really trying to do. Um, but I think it's just clear. Their objective is clear. The World Economic Forum objective—they're they're not even trying to hide that. It's very clear what they want to do, but it has to do with control. And um, it's, it's the same old things that's happened in other times during the world when communism was taking over parts of the world. Um, it's all about control. Um, and it's not really about climate change or coronavirus or those kinds of things. They like to use crisis to sort of be reasons why we have to take control or they have to take control. Um, and so we're seeing this kind of happening, uh, you know, and, and it makes you concerned. You're like, who, who's gonna be really in charge um, in the near future? Um, and, and, and then there's, there are conspiracies I hear about, um, you know, who's really in charge of the country. And uh, some of you I'm sure probably think some of that stuff, uh, but I, I don't know what to believe. I, I, I don't go that deep. I don't know, you know, some of well, the military's on Trump's side and you know, there's, there's people that are talking about civil war and stuff like that. All I know is if that's true, that's a scary endeavor to think about civil war in our country, but there's great divide. and It has to do with power and who's in control. But um, but I, I worry about, you know, why is the United States not mentioned in Bible prophecy? That's an interesting thing. And uh, I believe it's because perhaps we're not even an issue when all this stuff comes down. Maybe we cease to exist as a world power. Um, and it doesn't, seem very hard to imagine. Do you remember a few months back, oh, maybe six months ago, I showed you on one of our Prophecy Updates the, the recruitment video from you know, the United States versus the recruitment video uh, for the Russians? Well, I've got another one of those I wanna show you. Um, <laughs> a little different. This is. Did you hear that the Chinese Navy this week launched their new warship? It's a it's a new aircraft carrier that they launched, and it's kind of a big deal. But with that launching of their new aircraft carrier, the United States launched something too, and I'll tell you what that is. But but um, this is the launching. This is one of their videos of their military recruiting, and they show that some of the ships and stuff of the Chinese. 备完毕 So that's just a snippet. I could have shown you two minutes of that. Um, But while the Chinese is launching a new warship, the Navy launched a new pronoun video. Hi, my name is Johnny, and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Conchi, and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. Instead of saying something like, hey, guys, you can say, hey, everyone, or hey, team. Yeah, and now that you say that, another way that we could show that we're allies and that we accept everybody is to maybe include our pronouns in our emails or, like we just did, introduce ourselves using our pronouns. And this this goes on for another 30 minutes or so. Um, (laughs) That's enough right there, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, Literally, this is the United States Navy video that they put together uh, so that our Navy Uh, personnel will make sure and use the proper pronouns. It just makes me just a little concerned uh, that our military, I know that our military is better than that and don't get me wrong, I I admire and and I'm thankful for our military. But if this is where the leadership of our military's thinking and their heads are at, we're in trouble. Uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm worried about that I, I need, we need to pray about that especially as we get ready for 4th of July And I, I am a patriot, I love this country and I love our military and I, I love those that serve in our military but I, but I am concerned that we're not going to support them uh, the way they need I'd say forget the pronouns and let's make sure we have the weapons the armor, uh, the training to make sure that our country is safe uh, but that, that's a whole other issue um, now, with all that said, uh, we see that you know, the United States is uh, strikingly absent from the prophetic thing. Uh, and that, this might just be one of the reasons why. Um, but you, um, you also have to be kind of amazed at what happened this month. And I can't do a prophecy update without mentioning um, what, what, what an amazing thing it is that Roe versus Wade was overturned this month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I, I feel really glad because I've been praying for this forever that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. Um, but the reason I have mixed feelings is because um, it really doesn't do much. Let me just say, uh, as much as I'm happy about it, and I hope that it, it saves the lives of unborn children, the problem is that there's real, there's real question how many lives will it really save? Um, it, it, as you guys know, it really just puts it to the states to decide uh, what they want to do with abortion. Um, and so part of me worries, well, you know, you say, well, breath the blue states versus the red states. The red states are gonna you know, ban abortion. Maybe, but the blue states are gonna go crazy with abortion. I hope you understand that. It's already, they're already talking about it. They're already, there's blue states that are already talking about, well, let's, if they, oh, they want to outlaw abortion? We're gonna make abortion legal up to one month after the baby's born. There's states that are talking about that. That's been on the ballot of states uh, in the United States. So it makes me it makes me concerned about where it's going. And so I think we you know we've only this is like the tip of the iceberg. The Roe versus Wade thing, it was a bad law from the very beginning. And and, and it's it's a long story. If you know the way the Supreme Court's supposed to work, they're not supposed to create laws. Um, they're supposed to interpret laws. And and Roe versus Wade was a horrible thing from the very beginning. Um, but, but we still have a ton of work to do. Now, one of the things I need to remind us, and I, I talked about this on one of my social media posts, and that is we need to make sure and not think that somehow by us legislating things that suddenly righteousness is gonna be brought into the United States. We've never, we've never seen that work. Uh, just ask the, about the prohibition during those years and stuff like that, how'd that work out? Um, and, and outlawing abortion. Um, as much as I think it should be outlawed, and I, and I agree with that, I, I just know that there's going to be people who are hard-hearted and, and anti-God and anti-Bible and anti-life. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how we sort of structure these things: pro-life, pro-choice. Uh, I like to call it pro-abortion because that's what it is. Um, you have to be sort of pro-abortion uh, if you want to be called pro-pro-choice. Pro-cho- um, but but how are we going to make a difference? This is where I think Christians we need to really understand. Um, the, the true helping of this situation will help people to understand that God has created us in his image and, and that we, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Lord talks about how it's in the mother's womb that he forms us and he knows us before we're even born. Um, and, and before you can have you know, legislation working to any real extent, I think you have to have salvation. I believe that what we do at Ather Creek, preaching the gospel every Sunday is the most important thing you can do to fight against abortion. Just preach the gospel. Because you, you know, if people's hearts don't change, they're gonna keep doing what they're gonna do. And it goes all the way back to rebelling. You know, it's an amazing thing how people you know, rebel very early in the part of the story. That is sex outside of marriage. If we would just do what God's word says, we wouldn't have HIV and monkeypox and uh, STDs that are, that we don't even know what the STDs are today. Um, we wouldn't have all this stuff going on if we would just say monogamy, one man, one woman for their whole life, that's the way God ordained it. Um, once you start having sex outside of marriages, all your options fall, fall to the wayside, including the idea of pregnancy. Pregnancy was always meant to be a beautiful blessing but we in our stubborn, rebellious world say, we're gonna do it our way, God. And we wanna have as much sex as we wanna have. And so, and so the problems arise because sin is problematic. That's, that's why God calls it a sin because it's a problem. It, it causes problem in your life, and God loves you. He says, so don't do this, but the world shakes their puny fists, and God says, we're gonna sleep together. We're gonna get pregnant. We're gonna have HIV and all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases. We're just gonna rebel, and no wonder the world is in the state that it's in. No wonder we have to you know, sacrifice these poor babies at the altar of prosperity and all that other stuff. Um, it's the same thing that's been happening for a long, long time, um, but I think preaching the gospel is the most important thing. You can't clean the fish before you catch the fish. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And, and you got to catch them with the gospel for regeneration, not just legislation. So I'm, I have a sort of a, you know, if we, we could make laws till we're blue in the face, people are still going to do what they're going to do. Um, and that's that's just kind of the way it is. Um, so I'm I'm happy about Rose versus Wade. I mean, I'm thankful and I thank the Lord for that, the overturning of that. But, um, but I also am... Prayerful and, and considerate. Another thing, by the way, um, is, uh, can I just say, there's a bunch of things people love to bring up, and I'm just gonna talk about this for a second. One is, well, what about rape and incest? Um, well, here's the thing. People wanna make this less than 1% of what abortions really are, and they wanna say, we're gonna slaughter you know, 63 million babies because of this tiny 1% marginal issue over here. I'm not calling rape and incest uh, you know, a marginal issue. I'm just saying, compared to the amount of abortion, the abortions it's because people are just having sex and they don't want a baby. There's a tiny fraction that's rape and incest. And I'll just tell you my opinion on that. Um, I believe that the baby that is in the mother's womb should not be penalized for a horrible sin that was committed against her and this little child. Um, well, Brett, that's gonna punish her. Well, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I just cannot get on board with someone saying, murder that baby just because of the situation. Now, here's the next thing you hear in light of that. You Christians, all you care about is the birth. You don't care about the baby. And I just wanna say, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, And it's not true, there's no evidence to support, there's no data that supports that Christians or uh, pro-life people do not care about the baby after they're born. Uh, there's no data that supports that. I can show you piles of data where churches, including Athey Creek, have spent great resources caring for single mothers, children, babies. Um, you know, we've, we've tried to help people with adoption. We have adoption groups in our church that take in babies. Like we, the church is the most caring for um, unwed mothers than anybody. And you, you wanna know somebody who doesn't care about after the baby, Planned Parenthood. There's the group that could care less about the mother and her psychology and her spiritual condition after an abortion. Um, Don't let people get away with that. You Christians just care. That's just a total fabrication and a total lie. Um, The Christians are by far the most who actually uh, care. Um, Now the world uh, is condemning the United States. Um, Here's a look at world leaders, politicians reacting to Friday, a week ago Friday's decision. uh, Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, um, um, she called it. Uh, you know, uh, she said uh, it's one of the darkest days for women's uh, you know rights in my lifetime. Um, women's rights. Uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, uh, I think it's a big step um, backward. He said. Um, French President Emmanuel Macron. Um, <laughs> Oh, you guys don't like him? I heard a little groan there. Abortion is a fundamental right for all women. Um, it, it must be protected. I wish to express my solidarity with the women whose liberties are being undermined by the Supreme Court of the United States. The world looks at what we're doing right at this very minute and says, you guys are Disgusting. Um, when I wrote, I, when I did my uh, Instagram post about how we need to lead people to salvation, n- don't just, just try for legislation, and how I, I talked about that. Well, um, you know, I got a bunch of good and bad and ugly uh, response, but, but one of the responses I get is like, that's disgusting, you guys are disgusting. And that's what a lot of these people say. But I just have to say, no, what's disgusting is injecting a, a baby with, in, in the mother's womb with a saline solution virtually burning a child and then dismembering that child and pulling it out in pieces. And sometimes the child actually living for time after it's been aborted. Like, that's disgusting. Um, and that's angering to us. We believe that's a life. And so when people are saying, you know, you guys shouldn't care about my body and stuff like that. We don't. We care about the body of the child that's within you. Um, that's, that's, now. Now, when it says we don't care about your, your body, well, it's true, we, we want you to, you can do whatever you want with your body, but we're, we're talking about the body of the child. What we do care about for you, however, is your soul. Man, you know, um, uh, when when you're a you know, 18 year old girl and you're getting an abortion, you're like, yeah, whatever. But when you're 30, that's gonna haunt you years from there. And, and let me just say, for one in three women who've had an av- abortion, I just wanna say, the church is the place you can come and receive healing and forgiveness of your sins. Like all of us, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. And if you're the young man that got the girl pregnant and she had an abortion, you can come to the church where you can, you can understand, man, I've sinned against God. And the Lord says, I will forgive you for your sins. Uh, good news, abortion is not the unpardonable sin. And see, that's the thing we need to be remembering as Christians while we are anti-abortion. We also have to remember there's actually people involved that need to be saved. They need forgiveness of their sin, just like we have received forgiveness of our sins. Um, So uh, the Bible is clear on this, you know, Psalm 139. I love it, you know, for you, the the psalmist said, uh, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I mean, this Psalm tells us some of the details of being in the mother's womb. God's doing this miraculous work and it's evil to go in there and stop that beautiful work of God. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Isaiah 49, one, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, um, he named my name. Um, now, um, so, so a few thoughts about this, you know, is, um, you know, legislation versus salvation. What about rape and incest? We do care about that. If somebody has been raped, the church will be the first one to help that woman through that time period and help her uh, find healing and help. And we'll help with baby adoption or whatever we can do to help that mother through that, that horrible and brutal situation, rape or incest. We don't just say, uh, we don't care about rape or incest. We do care deeply about it. Um, and, um, and again, don't be duped by these, you know, pro-lifers only care about the birth. They don't care about the baby after they're born. No data, no evidence to support that. It's, it's actually radically the opposite. Christians and the church are the only ones who are really doing anything of, of note. Now, let me just say, the church can do better, too. Um, I think the churches should, we should be so blatantly helping with unwed mothers and pregnancies and stuff like that. We should be re- leading the charge on that. And um, I'm thankful that Athe Creek's involved with that, that we're, we're looking at other ways to even increase that and help even more with that. You might say, Brett, why is this a topic of your prophecy update? Um, because it has to do with this, this, this thing that the Bible talks about in the last days called apostasy. Um, that, that's kind of an important thing to know. Even Christians, have you, have you even noticed how many Christians are getting on the pro-choice bandwagon? I saw a note on one of the social medias a pastor uh, saying God is pro-choice and, and uh, it's just totally ridiculous. Uh, um, but it shouldn't su- surprise us to see the world with such evil views because like in 1 Timothy 4, It says, now the spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, that's the end times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, More than ever, you know, deception has swept across our country and really the world. Um, Satan is blinding people uh, in their hearts toward the gospel and really deceiving the world. Satan's called the deceiver, should we be shocked that people are so deceived. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through four, it says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Second John seven, It says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. One thing that first John talks about is the spirit of antichrist that's coming and the antichrist will be the culmination of that ultimately. But uh, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, according to the recent Gallup poll from June um, of 2022, uh, one of the things they came out with, only 68% of Americans under the age of 30 actually believe in God. Only 68, that's a, that's a way down number. The world is shrinking back when it comes to people who believe in God. And so it should be no wonder that the world is so tweaked out right now and calling good evil and evil good, Isaiah 520. You know, the, the prophet says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, light for darkness, that bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. And that's what we're seeing, um, what's going on. You know, um, all that's the stuff that we're watching and the stuff that's going on, and, and we could talk about all kinds of topics that make people upset. And uh, it is interesting, the Supreme Court uh, made some radical decisions uh, to much of the world. They're like, I can't believe the Supreme Court just did all this, just in kind of a huge sweep of decisions. Um, most of which we as Christians are kind of like, yes, finally, it's, an ama- like, it's amazing to see some of this stuff actually happening. But I think we're only beginning to see the ugly part that's going to come out of that. And with the ugliness, um, you know, things like you know our Supreme Court justices—are they even safe right now? That's an interesting question, as people have sought to assassinate you know our Supreme Court justices for making these decisions. Um, That—that's a real problem right now. Uh, but I see more and more problems uh, that are going to s- surface. And what's what's the rest of the summer going to look like? Who knows? But I want to remind you and, and me to be careful on this one, because as Christians, it's so easy to get riled up and angry and upset. And 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 I'm all for you know if you want to be politically active, man, there's you, you you can do that. But there's a few rules that we need to remember as Christians. And let me go over those before we wrap it up tonight. Number rule number one that we need to remember: first of all, you have to ask what is the real battle. Um, and, and this is a hard one because it's right in your face as you're being screamed at by someone with purple hair and yelling with you know, signs smacking in the face saying, you know, you're a murderer or you're a, you're a horrible bigot, homophobe, whatever. as they're screaming in your face. It's really hard to remember what the real battle is. And the real battle is Ephesians 6 verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Um, if you and I are fighting people um, we're probably fighting the wrong fight battle, unless you're in our army. If you're an army uh, member or part of our uh, military services, they're, they're, you do need to fight and that is a thing. But we need to be, or law enforcement, they're also in good standing when they're fighting and stuff like that. But but we need to be careful as Christians not, not to forget that it's not the purple haired lady that's screaming in your face that you should be mad at. You have to understand Satan is doing his thing and we have to, to kind of keep that tucked away. We're not fighting them. Um, Second Chronicles twenty fifteen. thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Um, that's what Second Chronicles tells us. We need to remember the battle belongs to the Lord. And man, you and I, we need to be really careful not to fight the wrong battles uh, in this day and age. And that's a tricky one. Um, it's okay to make arguments and to try to logically encourage people and even share scripture and try to convince people of the gospel and, and shining the light. Like, like we have a lot of work to do right now, plenty to do. But just fighting angrily and yelling back is not really um, what we're supposed to do. In fact, that brings us to point number two that we need to remember in these days, hard one to remember, um, love is the key. And if you don't believe me, just ask Jesus. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Well, brother, we love each other at church. Well, then you got Matthew 5, 43. Um, you have heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that, is that a hard thing to understand? I mean, that's a pretty clear thing that Jesus told us to do right there. Um, I think we have to remember that. I, mean, I know that some of you probably, well, Brett, the Bible, t-. just, just listen for a second, think about what Jesus just said there uh, and be careful in that one. Um, another thing I've noticed, people are kind of fearful, I've noticed, even in the Christian church, but you and I should never be afraid. As Christians, we are not you know, given over that spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. In fact, when we talk about end time stuff, you and I should actually be blessed and encouraged. I like the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse three, blessed or happy is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written therein for the time is at hand. This is the verse right after it says shortly, um, you know, tacos, the rapidly increasing thing. We're gonna be happy as we read the Bible and and Bible prophecy. Um, um, So understand, God doesn't give us Bible prophecy to scare us or to freak us out or to do a bunch of weird stuff. Um, we're supposed to love one another, love our enemies, be about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also don't forget, and this is kind of the fourth and sort of final part of this discussion about what we do in these last days. It's all about Jesus. I like Revelation nineteen ten It says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you wanna be about Bible prophecy, you've gotta have it focus, end on, land on, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's where it all is summed up. And we can, get, we can get off onto political bandwagons. We can get off on, you know, uh, angry and, and frustrated and watching the news and getting in a bad mood and all that stuff. That's not the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is to land on the person and the work of Jesus and what he's done. Um, I hope that you and I, rather than being really, really good about all our arguments about, you know, Roe versus Wade, which I think it's okay to have your arguments sharpened up on those things. It's good but I hope your ability to share the gospel is way sharper. Like I hope you're better at sharing the gospel than you are arguing, you know, why our pronouns aren't that important. I can make a pretty good argument for that. Um, But but I, I wanna be better at making the case for a person to accept Jesus. The gospel message that we're all sinners, we all deserve death and hell. But Christ came. He, God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. That whoever believes in Jesus and accepts the work of the cross, they'll be saved and forgiven for all their sins as they repent of their sins. Man, we we uh, we have we have work to do, uh, and I hope these prophecy updates. Um, I hope that those are the the fruits of these things that we realize we're not wrestling as principalities and powers or against people, but, but we're wrestling in spiritual powers and wickedness, that love still needs to be the key, that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that we walk away with those notions. Not just, rah, rah, yeah, we're right, you're wrong, and bashing people and nations. No, that's not what Christians should do. So keep it in perspective, keep it on Jesus, that's the key. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we are thankful for your word, we're thankful for um, just that you'd give us these interesting signs of the times, Lord, and and um, as we see these days approaching, more and more watching what your word says unfolding, I pray that we'd be about your kingdom, about sharing the good news of the gospel, um, that we'd be loving one another and even our enemies. Lord, teach us how to do better at that. Um, give us a compassion for the people that are easy to not like. Um, give us give us um, wisdom to be able to offer them and Lord, I pray that you'd open up opportunities for real conversation. Lord, we know that's hard to find today. People that are willing to talk about stuff. But Lord, give us wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent. But above all, I pray that we'd represent you in your heart, your mind um, before the people. So bless these, your people, And this Friday night as we look at these things. I pray that you'd give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.